0: Why do you seem so scared? All I wanted to do was play with you. Welcome to Terror Tracks. We publish new episodes every Monday at 2 AM EST. Go to terrortracks.com shop if you would like to support the show. And follow us on social media at terrortracks.com follow. Enjoy the show. CHAPTER Twelve, MIDNIGHT AT MURPHY'S Have you ever been to Demora? I asked. I grew up there. My parents gave me up when I was very young, so I was raised by the head priest at the Temple of Cyrus there, Star said. I wasn't so sure about Demora, or even if any of this was real. The doctor back there shook me up with all that talk about me destroying Norcastle. What if he was right, and all of this was in my head? It all seemed too insane to be real. Well, we have six hours to go. Where did you grow up? Star asked. I grew up in Norcastle. After the murders started, we left and moved to Drova. Dad got sick and I joined the military police, I said. How did he die? I'm sorry, that just slipped out. I... I waved it off. Lung cancer. Marlboro Reds were his vice. Star put her hand on mine. I've seen firsthand the brutality people can bring, in combat and in the police department. Many sights that will never leave me," I said. I know. It'll be all right. I'm here," Starr said. We both looked out the window for a while, watching the trees go by. The mountains in the distance were covered with snow, and birds flew south for the winter. Nature was the one thing that helped take my mind off work. I jogged through the parks a lot to clear my head plus I had to keep myself in shape what was the worst case you had star said that's confidential I said star gripped my hand tighter no please tell me I won't tell anyone I promise all right I said ashing my cigarette since you can take me into the past can I take you into mine I don't know I've never tried we can give it a shot I laced my fingers with stars and focused on my past. My hands began to sweat and my mind raced. All of the bad memories came back to me. I wondered if I should subject her to this horror, but she asked. I felt my mind open entirely and as I opened my eyes, we were back in Drova. We stood at the intersection of First and Broad Street. I looked around, shocked. It actually worked. We walked for a while and I grabbed one of the Drova newspapers to see the date. April 9th, 2048. I was working on a case of a serial family murderer. He broke in at night. He used their blood to write cryptic messages on the walls, I said. "Star's fingers, still laced with mine, trembled. Her grip tightened as we walked to the police station. No one inside could see or hear us. We walked past all of the officers and went into my office. My former self sat in the chair smoking a cigarette and typing 100 miles per hour on my laptop. There I am, working another 12-hour shift, I said. Sounds rough. I've never had a job like that before. I mean, I've worked at a few restaurants making money under the table when I was younger, Starr said. I snickered. What's so funny? If I saw someone that looked like you walk up to give me coffee, I'd probably haul ass out of that store. Goth girls are meant to work at Hot Topic, not Denny's. Star's mouth dropped and she slapped my arm. I didn't wear this stuff to work, you know. I laughed harder. No, I just think it's funny that a little girl like you dressed up in all this gothic shit was a waitress. Did you come out in a dress and apron too? No, I wore regular clothes, she said. Star punched me in the nuts and I fell to the floor. I looked up at Star as she laughed at me. She gave me a swift kick to the side. Get up. I can't keep us here in your memory forever. Jesus, woman, I was just playing. Chill. I stood up and struggled to keep my balance. Once I pulled myself together, we walked to my filing cabinet and pulled out Case File number 50321-8. Star opened the file and took her time looking at every single detail. Suspect, Dr. Dennis Murphy, age 42, Height, six foot one. Weight, one hundred eighty pounds. Charges, twelve counts of first degree murder. I solved the case, then started having flashbacks about Norcastle. Really messed me up good, I said. I'm sorry, Rick. I needed your help, Starr said. I slammed the file cabinet shut. I came to solve the case there, and that's it. Now we're on some kind of crusade to save the world. I don't get paid enough for this. Star teared up and her voice became shaky. You were the only one who could help. Please, I didn't know what you were going through. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Look, it's all right. I'm a little antsy is all. Star wrapped her arms around me and sobbed into my shoulder. I was still upset with her. She dragged me out of my life to come be some kind of savior. She needed me though. I couldn't let someone in need down. That's why I joined the force. To save lives. I thought about the night my best friend Devon died. I was at home relaxing from a long day when Chief Lewis called. Back then I was just a rookie street cop. This was the only time I ever heard the chief not angry or upset. He told me to head to some address downtown in the ghetto. As I pulled up, the chief and several officers were there. A couple ambulances parked at the scene as well. Then that unexplainable feeling of emotion hit me when I saw Devin inside this shitty crack house slumped over on a couch with some dead girl occupying the other half. Two other guys laid on the floor. He and these three people had been shot during a drug deal gone wrong. Devin was always a drug addict, but he was also my best friend since I was 16 years old. It hurt. The last thing he ever said to me was in a message congratulating me on making the force and how he promised he was going to start rehab soon. I kept that answering machine with his voice as a reminder as to why I keep doing this job. Let's get going. I have more to show you, I said. We left the police station and arrived on 1397 East 23rd Street, the Loudon's house. The first victims of Murphy's killing spree. We walked through the police tape and up to the two-story house where Sarah and James Loudon, along with their two children, Sam and Jeremy, were all murdered. The house was painted white with red shingles. I was called here around midnight to investigate the crime scene. The bodies were found after the neighbors heard gunshots. I was called in after responding officers found them. They kicked in the door, which muddied the waters in the investigation. I couldn't know for sure how Murphy got inside the house on this one. Before we go in, I have to warn you, it's bad. You don't have to come in if you don't want to, I said. I want to see what happened here, Starr said. I opened the door slowly and walked inside. Bloody symbols were painted on every wall. The symbol of Ravel, the god of chaos. Murphy had a sick sense of humor. After he drained the bodies, he decapitated them and left the heads on the couch. A head sat on each couch cushion facing the TV. Another symbol had been painted onto the TV screen, a heart with an X on top of it. The other markings on the walls were in Rami, remote's native language. The rough translation came out to, Ravel wills it. His followers chanted, thinking it would summon him. The kitchen was burned to a crisp. The empty fire extinguishers left by the door told us he intentionally burned only the kitchen and then put it out before it spread. He wanted people to see his work, his masterpiece. Murphy saw the murders as a magnum opus, a great work that should be admired by all around him. Star came into the living room and became fixated on the symbols. She knelt down by the TV. I've seen this before. Really? I asked. It looks so familiar. What is it? According to the documents analyzed by Dr. Gerard that the symbol was one of a fictional deity. Ravel, God of chaos and metamorphosis, metamorphosis. Murphy thought that by killing families, it would please Ravel. He could become a lieutenant in his order. What do you know about Ravel? Ravel is some fictional god created by psychopaths. Murphy was obsessed with this Ravel guy. His M.O. was to leave the symbol at his victims' houses to signal Ravel's return. What causes a man to become like Murphy? Star said. Systematic abuse, maybe. Sometimes people are just born that way and are late bloomers, as we called them. He seemed normal for most of his life. Top of his class at Oryx Medical School. He was one of the city's most renowned surgeons. He was just a man dedicated to his work. So much so that it may have driven him over the edge. So he just snapped one day? I doubt it. I think he fantasized about it or became fed up with everyday life. He didn't derive enough pleasure out of his daily life so he would take up destructive activities. Drugs weren't enough and eliciting prostitutes never satisfied him. We had hours of tape from a time we brought him in on a rape charge. The victim recanted. Then the murders started. So you believe it was over the rape charge? No. I think he had planned it all in advance. Some corpses were defiled. I think he preferred them dead. That way they couldn't call the police. Star hunched over with her hand over her mouth. She retched, but didn't vomit. She coughed a lot, then recovered soon after. There's more I have to show you. Come on, I said. I led Star to his second victim's house, the Rochefield residence. This particular one was different. Murphy gave particular attention to this family. It wasn't as messy as the last. It was more calculated and precise. I opened the door and let her inside. The house looked pretty normal. We walked up the stairs and into the bedroom where we found two bodies lying in bed, cuffed to the headboard. They were stitched along the neckline, wrist, groin, and feet. I pulled back the blanket to show Star. This was his second house. At least, that's what we thought. We didn't know the exact order due to this one being a more silent kill. He found the two objectionable. They were swingers, He was against open marriages, so in order to fix them, he surgically operated on them while they were alive and awake. The autopsy report showed that he took out their larynx so they couldn't scream. They felt every incision, and he took his time. What about the children? Star said with tears in her eyes. He gave them the merciful way out. He poisoned all three when he came to the door dressed as a delivery man. Star collapsed to her knees and sobbed. Rick... I can't. We have to stop. There's only one place left. It'll bring you joy. I promise. We walked out of the house and through town, arriving at Murphy's Mansion on the edge of town. When I realized he was the murderer, I went to arrest him. He wasn't too pleased to see me, obviously. A SWAT team was delayed, and the only way for me to ensure his capture was to go in solo. I snuck around the back door, popped the lock, and found him working on one of his victims a man that he was about to drain the blood from to use on his next venture. I tried to stop him, but he turned around and lunged at me with a knife. After I got him on the ground, he cut me across the chest and back, and I shot him through the heart twice, I said. You killed someone? Star asked. It wasn't my proudest moment. It kicked off the Norcastle flashbacks. Dr. Moore thought they all came from viewing an event similar to what happened back there when I was a kid regardless of what caused it. It's over now. We have to go back. I'm feeling weak, Star said. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow us, go to terrortracks.com follow. Also please check out our Patreon where you can get cool merch, writing lessons, and other awesome rewards starting at $5 a month at patreon.com terrortracks. See you next week. Goodbye for now.